Good morning, everyone. So glad to be here with you preaching this new series called Alive. And uh, as, as we go into the Word, my prayer is that your heart will be, will be strengthened, will come alive. You come to understand what it really means to live this Christian life. Dude, there's so many people that go through their Christian life, they have no clue what it really is all about. Somewhere in the distant past, someone said, why don't you say a sinner's prayer? Maybe you went to a Billy Graham uh, crusade or maybe Kent Ford in church some Sunday, I don't know. But you said a prayer and you sort of said, well, that's it. Here's what you need to know. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God intends that you live an abundant life, that you come and become fully alive. And so over the next three weeks, uh, we're going to discuss it in our small group. Uh, We're going to discuss it here on Sunday and hopefully get some good chatter through Facebook and through the various social media. We're praying that, that your heart will be challenged to think deeply about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Back some years ago, I heard Tony Campolo, uh, who was uh, a professor at the Pennsylvania University. He is a, was a personal pastor to the Clintons. Uh, he was a preacher, was an ordained Baptist preacher. I remember him telling the story about how he had gone to a, a class, a class on Chinese philosophy. And while he was in that class as a student, he was, hadn't graduated yet, but he was in that class. And the teacher said, you Christians don't teach your children how to pray properly. And he was referring to that prayer that most of us learned as children that says, now I lay me down to sleep. How do you know that one? Down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to take. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. He says, you're, you're teaching them the wrong prayer. What you need to teach them is, you need to teach them to pray that they should wake before they die. Did you get that? We need to teach our kids to wake before they die. Because for so many of us, we go through life half asleep, just sort of existing, not fully alive. So Tony Campolo, when he heard that, it revolutionized his life as a Christian. Because he began to think about what it really means to be a Christian. A Christian is somebody who is fully alive. Somebody who is awake. Somebody who is living in each moment. But for so many of us, as, as you know... We, we're just existing. We're all out of bed in the morning, look at our clock, and think, oh, maybe I can sleep for five more minutes, and five more minutes, and five more minutes. Now I have no time to eat breakfast. Now I have no time to have a shower. Now I have time, just enough time to put my clothes on. Well, not all of them. <laughs> and now I got enough time to get to the bus, and you get to work, and you're just down in the coffees just to keep going, and everybody asks how you're doing. It's, I'm terrible, I'm sick, I don't feel well, life's terrible, I can hardly wait to get home. When you get home, you're on social media, and it's like, oh no, it's time to go to bed, but I'll watch a little bit of, of uh, Jimmy Fallon, and I'll watch a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and next thing you know, you're staying up way too late, and then it's a cycle over and over again. And you are exhausted, and this is your life day in and day out. So I want to tell you this morning, It's not God's will that you just exist. It's God's will that you live a full and abundant life. And if you agree with me on that, would you just say amen, Pastor Allen? Yeah, amen. 
So Tony Campolo, taking this, this new knowledge, this new wisdom from his Chinese philosophy course, he starts to teach his class, and he picks on a young man in the front row, and he says to the young man, how many years have you lived? And the young man says, well, I've lived for 23 years. And Tony Campolo says, no, 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 no. I don't, I'm not asking how many years has your heart pumped blood through your system. I'm asking you how many years have you really lived? And Tony Campolo, he says, let me give you an example. So he tells a story about how when he was a nine-year-old boy, his parents took him up to the, to the top of the Empire State Building. And in those years, I mean, that was a big deal to get, on, get up on top of the Empire State Building, the tallest building in New York, looking over uh, the city. And he's a nine-year-old kid, active, a little bit maybe ADHD, I don't know. And he's running around here, and all of a sudden, he spoke to himself, and he said, Tony! You are on top of the world. You're on top of the Empire State Building. Stop and take a look around. And so he stopped, and he looked around. And he said in that moment, he felt fully alive. He felt maybe for the first time in his life, he was alive because he was in the moment, aware of what was around him, in awe of what he was looking at. He said, if I live for a million years, I'll never forget that moment. That was the moment I was live. And then he said to that young student again, so young man, how many years have you lived? And he said, well, maybe an hour. Well, he said, maybe, maybe a minute, maybe two minutes. He said, my life has just been a series of meaningless events, year after year, day after day, month after month, hour after hour, meaningless I want you to know today that Jesus Christ has called us to an abundant life. For most of us, we think of Christianity as a call to eternal life only. And you are right if you believe it's a call to eternal life, but there's so much more to it. God is calling us to a full and abundant life. And that's what we want to talk about today and over the next few weeks. How can I live my life fully? To be alive and present in every moment. For some of you today, you've, you just exist from day to day. Just, you don't even know what, what you're here for. How long have you been alive? Waking up each day with joy and expectation in your heart. Fully enjoying your spouse, your children, your friends. Do you take your spouse, your children, and your friends for granted, or do you appreciate them? Do you recognize that they're a gift from God? Did you know that every moment you are connecting and engaged in your relationship with the people that God has brought you, that you are alive? Because that's what you were created for. One of the things that we used to say around here all the time, we haven't said it a lot lately, but that life is all about relationships. That's what life is about. But for many of us, we're just existing. I sleep with that woman. That woman makes my meals. That woman washes my clothes. But am I enjoying her fellowship, her company, her companionship? My kids, they get on my nerves. I can hardly wait till they're out of my house. I can hardly wait till they go to school. I can hardly wait. Not my kids. My kids are wonderful. And we don't appreciate them, we don't understand them, we don't really get to know them, 
don't talk to me right now. I'm busy. I have to watch CNN. I have to read the news. I've got important things on Facebook I have to tend to. You know, with this team of six just got back from Burundi, I wish we had a moment to bring them up here, but we'll have to do it maybe next week. But for two weeks, they're on this trip, and I can guarantee you that in the course of those two weeks, every single day, they were fully alive. And you know how you know that you're fully alive? Because you can think back over 14 days, and you know what happened on every day. Remember Tony Campolo? If I live for a million years, I'll never forget that moment on the top of the Empire State Building. These people went to Burundi. They lived every single minute, minute by minute. To be fully alive means that you are fully aware of the reason why God created you. Every one of us here today has a special gift, a special calling. The book of Ephesians, it says that every one of us was created to fulfill or to do a special work. In fact, the book of of Ephesians calls you a masterpiece, created to do great works, good works that God had planned for you before you were ever born. That's when you're fully alive, when you're doing the thing that God created you to do. And yet so many of us go through life with the blood pumping through our system, keeping us alive. We're, We're just merely existing. We're not fully alive. To be fully alive means that you are walking with God every day. You are enjoying his fellowship. You're enjoying his company. When God created Adam and Eve, what did he do? He walked with them in the garden every day. He talked with them. He fellowshiped with them. Do you know in in the 1600s, the Westminster Confession was created as a group of ministers that got together and said, why are we on this earth? Why are we here? Does anybody know? And they start to search the scriptures, and here's what they came up with. We're on this earth for two reasons. According to scripture, we're on this earth to, to enjoy God forever. How many of you are enjoying God? Every day, enjoying him, enjoying fellowship with him, hearing his voice, allowing him to speak into your life, encouraging and comforting you. By the way, this is something that God wants for every believer But the second thing they recognize is that our job is to bring glory to God. In other words, when we bring glory to God, we're causing people who are watching us, who are looking at us, to praise our Father in heaven. Now, it doesn't always work out, but that's that's the goal. So, Deb, when you went to Burundi for two weeks, what you did is you glorified God by causing all those people that you met in Burundi to thank the Father that, that Deborah came to us. That's what it's about. That's what it means to be fully alive. Deb, are you ever more alive than when you're in Burundi? You're never more alive. And you can remember every minute of it. Why? Because you're alive. Now, how do we know all this? We know all this because God has given us his word. His word is light. His word is truth. His word is life. Life abundant. And if you're not reading this book, if you're not in the scripture, then how, my friends, are you ever going to be alive? So many Christians, they go to church every Sunday, but they don't open the book, they don't look at the Bible, and then they wonder why their fire has gone out, why they're not excited about their faith. Jesus was talking to his disciples about his purpose, why he came come to this planet 
Why did he come here? Why would he leave the presence of the Father? Why would he leave the splendors of heaven? Why would he come to this sin-sick world? And here's what Jesus says. He says, the thief comes to rob, kill, and do what? Destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Let me just ask you a question. Do you know how the thief is able to rob, kill, and destroy you? It's when you miss that second half. When you are not connected to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When you and I are not in the Word of God, when you and I are not engaged with Scripture, when you are not allowing God to speak to your heart, what you're doing is you're setting yourself up to be robbed by the thief, to be killed by the thief, in fact, to be destroyed by Satan. And I know so many Christians who have gone through such hell in their lives because they have not kept their eyes on Jesus. Now, I'm not standing here in judgment or condemnation. Because I've experienced my own sorrow, my own pain, my own suffering. Because of those moments when I failed to keep my eyes on Jesus and to continue to know the word and live by it. That's the calling for every one of us. Is to know the scripture and to live by it. That, my friends, is how we dodge the thief. That, my friends, is how we keep safe. Jesus is describing for his disciples, a sheep pen. You're, as long as you're inside that sheep pen, you're safe. And Jesus says, not only are you inside that sheep pen, but he says, I am the door. And if any, nobody can get to you unless they go through me. So Satan can come at you loaded for bear, ready to kill you, but he's got to go through Jesus first. And I'm telling you today, my friends, when you are hidden in Jesus Christ, Satan cannot get his hooks in you. Hallelujah. Satan can't touch you. The problem with us so often is that we have drifted away from Christ and we're not hearing his word. Jesus said, My sheep know my voice. My sheep hear my voice and they respond to my voice. Are you hearing the voice of your shepherd? Are you safe within the fold? Are you safe behind Jesus? Because Jesus is the door. And his job is to protect you, to keep you safe. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. To become fully alive means that we must look to Christ who not only gives us eternal life, but gives us abundant life. That's why we call you to be a Christian. Not just, someone once called it fire insurance, so you escape the fires of hell. (laughs) Yes, we we want to keep you safe out of hell. But we want so much more for you. We want you to enjoy the abundant life. Someone once said, man, the Christian life is just full of rules and regulations. Listen, folks, it's not full of rules and regulations. What it is, it's wisdom. Wisdom to live this life so that you have a good life. God wants you to have a great life. As a father, I'm constantly instructing my kids. Even Jesse, who's over in Alberta, he still phones and asks for advice. Dad, what should I do about this? What about that? How should I deal with that? And sometimes he doesn't even ask for my advice, but I give it anyway. (laughs) Why? Because I want him to have a great life. I want him to have an abundant life. I want him to be free of the robbing, the killing, and the destruction. Hello? 
That's why we teach our kids. This is why we, we've got Carolyn O'Neill giving leadership to our, our children's programs. Because we believe that the only way we're going to keep our kids safe from the thief who robs, kills, and destroys is by immersing them in Scripture. The Word of God that makes us fully alive. You know, when I see people wasting their lives, never fully awake, Never fully alive. You know people like that. People who just don't have a life. They, they exist to play bingo. Watch TV. Social media. You know, that, that really makes me believe in a devil. I believe in God, but what really makes me believe there's a devil is when I see what people do with their lives. God's intention is that you have a full and abundant life. God is not some sort of cosmic party, party pooper. He wants to, wants to make your life miserable. He wants your life to be great. He wants you to be free. The only way you're going to do that is by living according to his word. When you live according to his word, that's, my friends, when you become fully alive. Do you know that the average, average Canadian will live about 82 years? And some are maybe pretty close to the, to the limit, the expiration date. I know I'm getting there pretty fast, much faster than I thought I would. It's not a guarantee, but that's, that's what they're saying. The average life expectancy is 82. I did some research, just, and you can do it yourself, just to see how Canadians spend their time. They say that every day the average person spends two hours on social media, two hours. And the average Canadian has five social media accounts. So what are we looking at? Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, MySpace. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, what are some of the other? Well, you know, there's five of them at any rate. Two hours on that. The average Canadian spends five hours watching TV. There was a great TED Talk that said every year, in America, there are three billion hours a week spent playing video games. Three billion hours a week playing video games. Now look, there's nothing wrong with playing a video game. Unless that becomes your life. Because remember what I said earlier, God created you for so much more. God created you for a purpose. And this is why at Cross Church, we try to invite you to get involved serving somehow, somewhere, somehow. This is why we give opportunity for you to go on missions trips. This is why we invite you to come to church every Sunday. We want you to be alive. Fully alive. Not just existing, not just rolling out of bed, getting on to the guinea pig wheel and going around in circles. For so many, that is the sum total of their life. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. You know, I am so thankful to God for the example of, of my parents and Gloria's parents. They're, they're all approaching 80, or if some have already got there. But they're still so active. Serving God, serving their church, serving their family, their grandchildren. Gloria's dad is anybody who needs a preacher. If this pastor's away, he goes traveling all over Manitoba. 
taking, he's taken over a thousand people to Israel. In fact, he may be there right now. I don't know. I can't, I can't keep up with that guy. He's, he's almost 80, but he's traveling around the world. What's he doing? I'll tell you. He's living. He's fully alive. My mother. Sitting near the back there. Mom, are you there? <laughs> fully alive and awake. Serving here at the church, wherever there's a need. Taking care of those who need help. Visiting people who are shut in. Buying groceries. Just on and on. This is what it means to be alive. You know, the, some of the insurance companies and investment companies, they, they, they pitched an idea to the public. And it was this, that by 55, you could retire and do nothing. Can I tell you that, that nowhere in the Bible <laughs> does it say anything about that? God has called us to serve him to the end, whenever the end may be. And some days I feel like it's really close. <laughs> God has called us to serve him. And in serving him, that is when we're fully alive. Let me ask you the question today. Are you fully alive? Or are you just existing? Is every minute counting? You know, I think of my parents and I think of my grandparents and I, I see a common denominator. I think of glorious parents. Every one of them tries to live according to Scripture. Every one of them reads the Bible. Every one of them it dives into Scripture and wants to live according to the principles of Scripture. I loved it when I was a young boy, when I'd go and stay at my grandparents' place. My grandmother, who at that time was in her 80s, she had a, a, a vanity. I guess everybody knows what that is for ladies to put on their makeup. Only thing is my grandma never put on makeup and because she was Pentecostal. They didn't do that back then. They do nowadays. But... Uh, but that vanity with a big, big mirror and place for all your powders and lotions and, and creams and perfumes, there was also a nice little bench. And it was on that bench that she had her Bible. And I said to my grandma, why, why do you keep your Bible on your seat? That doesn't make sense. She said, Ellen, that's where I, that's where I kneel to pray. And I watched my grandmother kneel down at the vanity seat where she would read her Bible, beautiful white King James Bible with a zipper on it. And that zipper was never used because her Bible was always open. And in the other room was my grandpa. He'd be rubbing the liniment on his knees, Watkins, knee liniment, and still smell it of it. Think about it. And he had his little purple Gideon's Bible. And you've heard me tell this before. He said, Alan, if I, I generally, he said, that's his, those were his words. I generally read one chapter every day. And if I don't, then there's something wrong with me. It's the only book he read was the Bible. Every night, that's what he did. And I remember being at their home, whenever I was in their home, loving it, loving the presence of God in that home, feeling alive, feeling loved. My grandparents loving me the way Christian grandparents should love their grandchildren. Praying 
with me and asking me to pray. And every time I would pray, Grandpa would just start blubbering, start laughing and crying because he was so thrilled that his young grandson was serving God. Talk about alive, fully alive. And this is when he was 90. And he said, yeah, I've, I, I still want to drive my car. I never, I never liked to look, especially if I was driving with him. Fully alive. No intention of closing down. No intention of becoming less than who God called him to be. My grandmother used to always talk about going home. I can hardly wait to go home. I said, Grandma, why don't you think God's taking you home yet? She said, because I've got children and grandchildren who aren't serving God yet. I got to pray for them. Wow. These are people of the book. These are people who are fully alive. So I don't care what age you are. You can be fully alive if your heart is set on loving God and on knowing God. And across church, we've asked everybody to try to read through the Bible in 2018. And Taryn has got the Facebook uh, site through the Bible in a year. And if you haven't signed on yet, sign on to that. Why are we doing this? Why, go, why, why bother with that? And I'll tell you why. Because we know that when you feed on the Scripture, God transforms you. When you're daily feeding on Scripture, your life takes on meaning and purpose. Without reading the Scripture, your life is meaningless and purposeless. Look what it says here in Isaiah 55, 11. It is the same with you, with my word. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Did you get that? When you read the scriptures, God's will is done in your life because now you have read his mind. When you open your Bible, you discover the mind, the heart, the purpose of God. And it produces fruit in your life. Some people say to me, you know, Pastor, I don't know why I struggle all the time. And I don't know why, I'm, why I keep going backward, why I keep backsliding. I don't know why my life is not where it should be. I don't know why I'm not more advanced. And I'll tell you, folks, it's because you're not feeding on the word. People, I, people uh, all the time, Pastor, I'm struggling with addictions and on and on. I said, well, start reading your Bible. Start praying every day. Start having a walk with God. Start coming to church every day, every Sunday. Well, pastor, first, I got to get my life cleaned up first. I said, that's not the way it works. I don't care if you come to church drunk. Come to church. Hello. <laughs> I don't care if you're stoned. Come to church. And I'm going to tell you this. Of course, God doesn't want you to be drunk. Why? Because he wants you to have a full and abundant life. He doesn't want the thief robbing, killing you, and destroying you. But he wants you to come to him as you are. Do you know that you don't need to clean yourself up to come to God? Do you know how many people who are Christians for years and they still have that in their head? They think, man, if I've sinned, if I've fallen short, if I'm not where I need to be, I've got to clean myself up first, and then I'll return to God. That's not how it, how it works. And I know so many people who struggle spiritually because they believe the lie of Satan. Understand this. When you come to God, God sees his son Jesus. did not see you. Because you are clothed, you are covered by Christ. 
And the way we know that is by reading his word. So come as you are, start reading your Bible, start praying. I don't care if you're a bit tipsy. (laughs) Open your Bible, start reading it, and watch what the Spirit of God will do. He will begin to liberate you. He will begin to transform you. He'll begin to set you free. Pastor, I'm struggling with addictions. I'm struggling with pornography. I'm struggling with impure thoughts. Open your Bible and let the Spirit of God cleanse you with his word. That's what Jesus said about his word. His word cleanses us. David Suchet, Some of you, how many know, have seen him? He's Inspector Hercule Perrault, Agatha Christie. He grew up, he said, without religion, without Christianity, without any religion. But he, was, he opened the drawer in his hotel room and he pulled out his Bible. I pulled out the Bible, hotel Bible. And for some reason, he went to Romans chapter 8. Now, some of you know that's my favorite chapter in the Bible. He read it. And he instantly, he said instantly, he said he was transformed. He instantly said a prayer and he asked Jesus Christ to come into his life. And soon afterwards, he went to his local Anglican church. Because if you live in England, where else are you going to go to church? He went to his Anglican church. He was baptized and he became a Christian. He says, I'm a Christian by faith. I like to think it sees me through a a great deal of my life. I very much believe in the principles of Christianity. After reading the scriptures, my friends, after believing the scriptures, after doing what the scripture says, David Suchet came alive. Just from reading the scripture. Here's another young man. Yosef. Mosab Hassan Yosef, son of one of the founders of the terrorist group called Hamas. At age 17, he says he couldn't understand how he was serving Allah, the God of Islam, by killing innocent civilians. And some of those innocent civilians were in fact Muslims. He asked questions, how can I possibly by serving, be serving God this way? He got no answers. But then one day, a traveling businessman from Britain, traveling through Palestine, saw the young man and gave him a Bible. Yusuf opened the Bible, began to read it secretly, and as a teenager, he became a Christian. And it changed his life. He became alive. He says, it says here, he continued to work alongside his father, the Sheikh Hassan Youssef in the West Bank near Ramallah. And he said he dared not tell anybody that he had quietly and privately embraced the Christian faith. But what he did is he began to serve God in the best way that he knew how. And that was by keeping other people alive. How can I keep other people alive? And he began to serve the Israeli secret service. All from reading a scripture. All because somebody took the time to give him a Bible. Yusuf came alive. And not only that, he kept others alive. That's the power of scripture. Now here's what it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. The apostle Paul is asking the Christians in Rome a question. He says, how can people call on God to save them unless they believe in him? You can't ask God to save you 
unless you believe in him. But how will you ever believe in God if you don't have somebody to tell you about God? And how can people hear about God unless someone tells them? Now, I've paraphrased that a little bit. How can they call on God to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Folks, this, in this passage of scripture is the mission of the church and the mission of every Christian. If you are a Christian today, a follower of Jesus Christ, then your job, your calling is to help people come to know your Savior. To come to a full and abundant life. Let me ask you this. Have you been telling anybody about Jesus? Have you taken the risk of sharing a Bible with somebody? Somebody asks, is it really necessary to send people to Burundi? I'm going to tell you, absolutely. And those who went on the Burundi trip, you'll, you'll agree what a difference it makes. It all helps in the process of helping people come to know Christ. Janet, how many, how many thousands of dollars have we spent getting scriptures into the hands of the people in Burundi? Do you know offhand? $25,000. Absolutely thrilling. And I'm going to tell you folks, there, to buy a Bible is equivalent to, I don't know, it's at a, a week or two weeks salary. How many of you would be prepared to take two weeks of your salary to buy a Bible? Our church made it possible to put the scriptures into the hands of hundreds and hundreds of people. Why do we do it? Because we know that the scripture makes people fully alive. That's why we do it. That's why we send teams. And that's why we're asking you to read your Bible. For many of us, we have more than one copy in our house. Maybe if you're like me, you have at least 10 or 15 copies of different versions of scripture. But I want you to see this. There's a pattern here. I can call on God because I believe in God, because I heard from God. You'll notice on the tagline up on the screen there, it's hear, believe, and do. And so today we're talking about hearing the word. Next week we're talking about believing. And the next week we'll be talking about doing. Hear, hear the word, believe the word, then do what it says. This is exactly what Jesus and the Jewish teachers of the law were driving at when they taught this. Look at this verse here. And some of you have memorized this. You know it off by heart. You've heard me quote it many, many times. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Do you know that when you love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul, folks, you are believing the word. When you... When you Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. You're believing the word. When you love the Lord with your mind, you are hearing the word. You're wrestling the word. This is what we're doing this morning. You're hearing the word. You're loving God with your mind. That's why, did you, that's why you came to church today because you love God. You want to love him with your mind. You've come here to hear the word of God preached because you love God and you want the word of God to get into your heart. How do you love the Lord your God with all your strength? It's by doing what God says. That's what we'll talk about in the third week. Hear, believe, and then do. I'm going to tell you that's what changed my life. Reading and memorizing scripture. Joe, you know, I went to Boys Brigade. And some of you, get, again, know this. I went to Boys Brigade at Calvary Temple when I was just a boy. And I heard the pastor preach a sermon. 
and asked if anybody wanted to become a Christian. Of course, I did. Now, that was just the start. I didn't understand any of this. But what happened after that, folks, is that I began to do all the achievements. You have a book full of achievements, things you had to do. And when you, when you did the achievement, you got a signature, and you got badges and, and sashes, and I don't know, caps and hats and capes. I don't know. We had it all. I had it all. But here's what we had to do to get these badges. We had to memorize scripture. And you know the scripture that I memorized as a young boy is still with me. I still can recite it. And it changed my life. Now I think of others who said a sinner's prayer somewhere along the line. They, they went forward in church. They, they asked Jesus into their heart. And then, you know, we never saw them again. They, they backslid or they've drifted away. The thing that caused me to grow in my faith and to stay alive and fully alive was memorizing scripture. And I began to understand that early in my life. Thank God. I carried packages in my pocket. Uh, some of you maybe have seen flashcards, but these were, these were verses in my pocket. And I, I did it well into my 20s. In fact, I prepared for you, and I don't know if it's available today or not, but we're, we're going to make it available to you next week. And it's a list of 20 scripture verses that every Christian should know by heart with a few bonuses added in there. And I'm gonna, we're going to make it available. You can stick it in your Bible. But I'm going to ask that you begin to memorize these scripture verses because in these scripture verses is our theology, what we believe. And it's how we live our lives. I know all of these scriptures off by heart and many more. And it transformed my life. It's made me fully alive. You say, Pastor Alan, I'm getting too old to memorize scripture. Well, you might be getting old to memorize scripture, but you can still do it. Just got to make an effort. I'm still working on memorizing scripture. I'm going to close with this. Yesterday, uh, actually Friday night, we got home from our little holiday. And then uh, we had, while we were away, we heard the sad news about the passing of Glenn's mom. And I met with Glenn yesterday and just talking about the service that we're going to have tonight. But one of the things that Glenn shared with me that absolutely thrilled my heart, he said his mom, uh, they, they found amongst her things, her, her, her belongings, that she'd been writing out the Bible, just writing out scripture, just randomly writing it out, and, and pages and pages of it. And I said, well, in Tagalog? No, in English. <laughs> writing out the scripture. And Glenn shared with me that he knows that his mom is safe with Jesus. And I have no doubt about that. Because as Glenn said, and as I shared this morning from Isaiah 55, verse 11, the word of God does not return empty and void. It produces the fruit that God intended for it to produce. I'm going to ask you to stand right, right with me right now. Because here's what I know, is God wants every one of us to be fully alive. Amen? Tell the person beside you, God wants you to be fully alive. And now tell them this, the way that's going to happen is by reading your Bible every day. Okay, look at me, we're going to pray now. We're going to pray and ask God to go with us from this place with joy in our hearts that we will be fully alive, we'll be loving our spouse, loving our kids, loving our boss, loving our boss. Loving all our friends, loving the people who cut us off in traffic, blessing them as they go. God, bless that guy who just cut me off. Bless him abundantly. I mean abundantly. 
But let's go fully live. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your presence here. Thank you, God, for what you want to do in us and through us. And God, we become fully alive by burying ourselves in your word and allowing your word to be buried in our hearts. So, Father, we pray, make us fully alive through Jesus Christ. We thank you that Jesus has come, that we may have life and have it abundantly. And so, God, we're praying everybody here, even those who have not yet started to read the Bible, maybe there's some here today been holding out. God, I pray that their heart would be challenged and encouraged to start reading their Bible. And we know, God, you are going to do something great in our midst. And we pray all that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it? Tell the person beside you, I'm going to read my Bible. The word of God has been given not just to inform us, but actually to transform us. And so I think this kind of poses a question for us. Maybe there's some people here who you've read God's word, or maybe you grew up hearing all the Bible stories or that. And uh, you just find that despite that, you're still kind of caught and you're stuck in the same old sin patterns. You're caught in the same old thinking, and you just can't seem to get out of these habits or whatever it is that you've always been stuck with. And so... After that, that question remains of how do we actually let God's word transform our lives? How do we make this an inner to outer transformation rather than just simple head knowledge? And so just as I was studying this text, I believe we can look to it and it actually provides insight surrounding these questions. And all we have to do is we look at the very beginning of this text and it reads, how can a young person stay pure by obeying your word? Another translation says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? So we're asking this, how can we stay on this path that God's prepared for us? Like, how can we stay on this path that leads to joy, that leads to goodness, that leads to peace by living according to his word? That's not just reading it, it's not just memorizing, but actually living it out. And so when the author of the psalm writes this, more than likely, it's actually a rhetorical question. He's making a point that obviously by doing what God says, you know, the one that kind of knows everything, uh, we're going to be making the right choice. He's saying that the word of God breathed in and lived out is the path that we need to be on. So then as he continues to write, he actually just speaks to what this means. If the word of God is to actually be lived out and is to bring transformation to our everyday lives— how does it do this? Like, what do we actually do with this? And so this morning, I'm just going to address three things that I believe can kind of be pulled out of this text. And I actually kind of want to work backwards. And so I'm going to speak to that. Uh, And really, the first one is being an attitude of peace. How do we let the word of God bring transformation to our lives? We approach it with an attitude of, of praise, actually. Clarify. 
Verses 12 to 16, we read, I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I've recited aloud all the regulations you've given us. I've rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Approaching God's word should encompass praise for our Heavenly Father. And uh, we kind of live in a culture where facts have kind of become dependent upon feeling. I don't know if you know, but truth has sort of become relative in our day and age, meaning that if you don't feel something is right, but then like I feel it's fine, then that's okay for you and that's okay for me. And so what's true for you might not be true for me. And even what's true for me might not be true for me, depending on how I feel tomorrow. It can change. And so although this is kind of the direction that I see society specifically has gone, I would actually stand to say that this line of thinking has become detrimental to the church. We're so bent on chasing and following our feelings that we actually neglect the fact that truth is a constant and that God and his word are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Truth is truth, and it doesn't change. And so we all have emotions, and I believe these are 100%. These are a gift given by God. They're good. He's wired us that way for a reason. However, sometimes our emotions can actually deceive us. Psalms 43 verse 5 reads, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. See, the psalmist gets it. He knows that in light of the way he feels, in light of the fact that he feels so compelled to despair, he knows that God is good, and he knows that God is worthy to be praised. Our emotions are the things that are going to call us to fixate upon the storm. And so we see what's going around us, and we begin to despair and cry out, but it's actually the voice of Jesus that says, why do you have so little faith? Like, I'm the one who calms the storms. I'm the one who calms the wind and the waves. Our emotions, our feelings, they're not evil. And so I'm not saying just throw them out the window altogether. We can pay attention to them and we can listen to what they're trying to tell us. Yet when our feelings begin to contradict what God has already said, we need to recognize this and begin to engage with the truth of God. We need to approach him with an attitude of thanksgiving, with an attitude of praise, despite what anyone or anything may say. In order for God's word to be able to manifest itself into our lives, into the way we think, we need to be able to say that I'm going to praise God even when I don't feel like it. And uh, I'm just going to be honest, there's a lot of times that I don't feel like praising God. For good measure, like life can actually be really hard and really sucky sometimes. Yet as children of God, we're called to choose praise and to choose name, his name and his word, even when everything inside of us is telling us something different. And you know, just as the psalmist here says that he's going to recite God's word, uh, sometimes we literally might have to say the word of God out loud. And I know that maybe sounds strange. You're like, okay, so I'm in a bad mood at the grocery store and I just start like quoting scripture left and right. Maybe not necessarily, uh, but I actually think that there's something to speaking the word of God over our lives. And really what it does is it allows us to come into alignment. We make our minds and our bodies subject to that which God has already said. The truth doesn't change, but our perception of reality can change. And so when God says he is good, we can actually take him at his word and we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, my God is good and my God is for me. We put our straight stake in the ground and we say, 
It doesn't matter that I feel like God has forgotten me or that I feel like God has set me up for failure and for disappointment. I actually believe that God says he's good and that he's for me and he's not against me and that he's working out all things for my good. And so that just settles the issue. It's done. We're called to approach his word with praise. And so the second thing I have for you is that we need to hide his word in our hearts. Verse 11 reads, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I think this is crucial. As I mentioned earlier, there are just so many Christians who have found themselves basically like, like I'm trapped, you know? I read the word of God and I'm going to church and I'm doing all the right things and checking all the right boxes, but I'm just still caught in the same old habits, the same old mistakes, the same old thoughts. We have such good intentions that we just can't seem to get it right. I actually had the privilege of speaking to our youth at an all-nighter we did in celebration for New Year's, um, and I did survive, in case you were wondering. Uh, there may or may not have been energy drink involved in that. Uh, but it was about like two in the morning where I got to preach and got to speak to them, and uh, I talked about the same thing. And so we're talking about New Year's resolutions, and uh, I referenced the fact that although like millions of people, literally millions of people across North America, they make these resolutions every year, but yet there was a study done and it was found that out of all these people that are making resolutions, only 9% actually found that they had success in them. So there's people who are like all with good intentions, they want to change and make changes in their life, but only 9% actually found that they could do that. And it's the same with Christianity. We want to live sanctified lives. We want to pursue all that God has for us. We want to be kingdom oriented, but sometimes we're just kind of bad at it. And I believe that the reason for this is that sometimes we approach God's word backwards. We try to manage our behavior in hopes that we as people are going to change. But just personally, like even in my own life, I've just found again and again that what I do on the outside is merely a reflection of what's going on on the inside. In Luke 6, 43 to 45, Jesus says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If God's word isn't actively taking apart and doing stuff and working on the inside, we can't really expect that anything good is going to come out on the outside nor should we. Like, we don't even have that capability to conjure up good from ourselves. The word says, yeah, all have fallen short, all are inclined to sin. As Christians, we cling to God's word to form our minds and to form our hearts, in turn, forming our decisions and forming our actions. A good man brings good things stored out of the good of his heart, meaning that when we hide away the word of God in our hearts, the word of God will actually just flow out of us naturally, and not just in word, but also in deed. And the cool thing about this, like I see God actually promised this for his kids long ago. In Jeremiah 31, 33, he says, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel at that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So God has promised that rather than needing to freak out because we have to follow 613 different commandments down to a T, he's actually going to do a new thing, 
And he's going to send his spirit to dwell within us, meaning that his word will be written upon our hearts and in our minds. When we choose to engage the word of God, we're not simply reading over the text and moving on. We're actually letting it form roots in our hearts. And I don't know, maybe you're thinking like, okay, that's cool, Blake. Like, I like that. But what does that actually mean? Like, what do I actually have to do with that? What does forming roots mean? Well, that's a great question. The thing is, in order for something to form roots, there needs to be room for it to form roots. When you have a flower and it's growing and it's trying to form roots, it needs, there needs to be room in the soil for it to grow. If there's weeds that are present, it will actually choke it out. And the flower will either grow stagnant or more than likely it'll actually just die and wither. If we want the word of God to form roots in our lives, we need to pull out the, the weeds that have taken root in our thinking. You see, the truth of God is sometimes just so counter to what culture says. It messes with the way that we naturally want to go in the flesh. When we engage scripture, I think we need to begin asking ourselves, you know, what is the truth that God's actually revealing to me through this? And what are these current thought patterns that I already have that counteract that? Because more than likely, the truth of God is right and what you think is probably wrong. The enemy wants nothing more than for us to stumble over the way of the world and so I just challenge you, like, begin to wrestle with the truth of God and with what it presents to us in his word and by his spirit. Meditate on these things. Say them out loud. Remind yourself of what he says and who he says he is and who he says you are. Hide his word in your heart. And so the last thing I'm going to address in response to how do we actually go about letting the word of God transform our lives is that we need to seek him wholeheartedly. Verse 10 reads, I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've tried hard to find you. I've sought God out and I haven't stopped until I found him. And this morning, I just want to pose a question. When you approach God's word, like what do you actually expect is going to happen? When you approach him, whether it's just like in a gathering like this or in worship or when you're reading your Bible or in times of prayer or in a sermon, like, do you expect that God's going to show up? Do you expect that you're going to meet with God? And is there a desire to meet with God? Because, you know, something I find interesting when we read, how does a young person stay pure? Uh, it's not necessarily like referring to chronological age. And so if you're thinking like, I'm not young, which obviously is none of you because you're all clearly young. Uh, but it's actually referring more likely to someone who's a student or a follower or a disciple. The psalmist, as a wisdom teacher, would be posing this rhetorical question to saying that anyone who wants to remain pure and who wants to be on this path that like Jesus has set out, you must come in obedience as a student, as someone who is teachable and who is hungry to learn. And that's like the hardest thing, right? To actually be hungry and to like be teachable. I find like even more and more so like people in my generation, they always say, yeah, that's like the biggest thing is like people don't know how to be teachable. They don't know how to actually like accept instruction. And it is hard, I'll admit that. But you know, the moment that we think we know it all or that we have it all or that we don't need any help, that's the moment that we stop growing. In Matthew 18 verse three, Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless you change and unless you become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And when you think about the various attributes that children often possess, you know, you may think of things like playfulness or joy 
or wonder or curiosity or maybe even like boldness. As children of our Heavenly Father, I think there's actually something to being like kids as we approach our God. I'm sure everyone here has encountered a child. And I don't know if it's like maybe just like a stage that some people go through, but there, there seems to be those kids that they just like always ask questions. Have you ever met a kid like that? Where it's just like, okay, they can't just let it be. They have to like push and push and push to know the truth. You're just like, okay, bye, I'm off to work. Well, why? Oh, you know, because I, I have to make money for, for our family. Well, why? Oh, be, because we need, you know, things to buy and we have to put clothes on our bodies and a roof over our heads. Well, why? It's like, uh, I don't know, that's the way God made us. Well, why? You know, like it just never ends. It keeps going, keeps going. And uh, as annoyed as maybe we sometimes get with those kinds of conversations, I actually think there's something to that when we reflect on our relationship with our father. You see, kids aren't, aren't afraid to keep asking until they get what they want. And they're not afraid to keep asking until they get the answer that they want. Kids can be extremely bold. They ask expecting to receive. And as followers of Jesus, are we expecting to receive from our Father? Are we in a position in which we've asked and in which we've sought? And even if the things don't look like we thought they were going to look like, or maybe we heard an answer that we didn't think we were going to hear, did we actually not give up and did we just keep going? Do we keep pressing in until we find God? Because guys, one truth that like I've come to know and it's been hard to sometimes even accept, God wants to be found. He's not trying to hide himself to tease us. He wants to be found. And so in Jeremiah 29, 13, we read, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. God wants to reveal himself to us and he wants to speak to us. Yet he's found by the people who are actually looking for him. And I just wonder this morning, are we hungry? Like, are we hungry for more of God? Are we thirsty for more of God? Are we hoping that God's actually going to show up in our everyday lives as we're going about our business, that we actually hear like the spirit of God redirecting us in our path and telling us, no, 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 I actually want you to do this. Oh, I actually want you to speak this to this person. And you're going to see life come from that. And you're going to see hope from that. Or are we just comfortable to have God in our half an hour in the morning and one hour on Sunday? Do we, do we hunger for more of God? Do we like living in the comfortable? Or do we actually want to see like what God's doing in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and in our city? And, and just hear my heart when I say that, because by no means do I say that in a spirit of condemnation, but rather just as encouragement for us as a collective community. Like that's what I want for my life. I know I don't hunger for God as much as I want to and as much as I should. I want to desire God more than I do right now. And so I think when we begin to ask God to reignite that within us, or maybe even just to like set a spark that's never even been there before, for the first time ever, we're going to see God being faithful to his promises. And he's going to create within us a desire for more of him. When you approach his word, expect that he's going to speak to you. And don't move on until he does. Seek him wholeheartedly. I just believe the word of God was never meant to be an ornament or to be a trophy that we put on our shelves. It wasn't even be meant to be something that we could kind of just blindly quote and not even think about. The word of God was and is meant to sink deep and to plant roots within our hearts. 
God has promised to write his word upon our hearts and in our minds. And really this involves coming to a place of surrender so that the Holy Spirit can do that. In return, God gives us this complete fulfillment as we walk out our callings and as we choose to live the lives that God has designed for each one of us. We were never meant to be just hearers of the word, but we were actually meant to be people who live the word out. And, and folks, like I'll just add, this has always been a part of God's design. Uh, it's not like it was just some add-on to accepting Christ where you just saw this really flashy commercial that made Jesus seem really good. And you're like, okay, like sign me up, like monthly subscription, whatever, I'm down. And then as soon as you bought into it, you just see this fine print. Oh, by the way, God wants you to do X hours a week for him, or you have to sign up for this many prayer events or go to this many things in order for him to be happy with you. That's not how it works. We look at Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 10, and he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We shouldn't be in the mindset that God requires anything from us. God doesn't need us. He's actually pretty self-sufficient as the Lord of all the universe. Yet, out of love, he creates us. He calls us and he commissions us to live our best lives possible. We get to participate in the work of God because God has specifically wired each and every one of us uh, to be passionate about different things so that when we actually contribute to the kingdom of God, we actually find this like huge level of fulfillment because he has given us giftings and he's given us desires and we actually just get to work in those. See, God knows what we need probably a little bit better than we do ourselves. God gives us these best lives possible because he knows how the way we were supposed to function. His word brings order. And I just think just as like God's word, uh, his creative word brought order in the cosmos and actually like formed everything to be, God's word brings order in our lives. His word brings peace and clarity and abundance. And God always knows what we need. So when we say yes to living according to his word, we're saying yes to living the life. And that means living the best life that you could possibly live. We're saying yes to satisfaction. We're saying yes to joy. We're saying yes to, pain, to, to peace. And on the flip side, that's saying no to pain and no to worry and no to doubt and no to fear. God is so good, guys. And when we choose to live according to his word, our lives are good. We can live this abundant life and we can just trust that we know that no word from God is ever going to fail. Let's pray this morning. God, I just thank you for what you're doing in this place. I just thank you that despite even what, whatever 2017 brought us, we can trust that your mercies are new every morning, and today is a new day, God. And so wherever we find ourselves, God, I just trust that you want joy for us. You actually want peace and life and hope for us. You want to bring transformation to our hearts and to our minds. There's nothing you can't do, God. There's no dead ends for you. And so, Father, just as we choose to trust you and, and choose to give our yes to you, God, may you make it so clear and may so abundantly clear where we're to go and what we're to do, God. We don't want to live by our own means and we don't want to live directionless, Father. 
We want you to lead us. We want you to guide us by our spirits. God, may we actually see transformation in our lives when we choose to surrender to you. May your Holy Spirit do a new thing in our hearts and in our minds, God, as we constantly come to your word in the hopes of renewal, God. And Father, I just pray over specifically that even as we're in those places,